Hello, and welcome to Community Calls, our ongoing effort to keep the community updated with COVID-19 and other health-related issues during the pandemic. I am Dr. Panagis Galiatsatos, an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a physician in pulmonary and critical care. Thank you for joining us. So joining us on this Friday, spring is kicking in. I know we had some showers earlier in this week, uh, but I think we're in for some uh, better weather moving forward. And of course, for our uh, listeners who celebrate uh, a few uh, religion, a few uh, traditions under the Abrahamic uh, faith, we have Easter approaching us as well as Passover. So I'm hoping for those listeners who um, celebrate these uh, celebrations, hoping you enjoy these moments in a public health conscious manner with your families. Hopefully it's a little bit more different than it was last year, especially as we're rolling out with vaccines and so forth. With that said, let's go ahead and dive into uh, COVID-19, right? And I want to thank the listeners today, as I do every week, for being on these calls. Remember, you are our front line. Why? Because the ability to promote health and prevent disease allows you all to be able to do just that. Your doctors and nurses will always be the last line of defense. And with that said, with that said, best way to be COVID is to just not spread COVID. Spread information, and that's what you all continuing to do. You know, I always say Kimberly and I are always shocked, not shocked, but just greatly and happily surprised at the good work you all do. So keep at it. With that said, we're going to go, and today we'll dive into the numbers, where we're at in the world with regards to COVID cases and how many patients, uh, patients, people here in the state of Maryland have been vaccinated. With that said, then I'm going to go over a bit of post-COVID conversations focusing on the one organ that I think is amazing, and it's the lungs. So we're going to go over what lungs do after you've had COVID, just to give you an idea of what to prepare for. So with that said, Let's dive into the numbers now because we have also amazing guests who are going to give us some more insight of how we're going to end this pandemic with the ability to access the vaccine. So globally, where are we? We have 126,241,054 cases. Mortality of 2,769,956 globally and giving us a a global mortality rate of 2.2%. Here in the U.S., we have 30,780,446 cases, with deaths at 559,897, giving us a mortality rate of 1.8%. Here in the state of Maryland, we have 405,343 cases, with deaths at 8,000, 47, right? We passed that 8,000 mark. Mortality rate in the state of Maryland is 2%. Vaccines, right? So we're just focusing on Maryland. Where are we? How many of our population have been fully vaccinated? And the current numbers, last week we're at the 12%. Now we're at 14.8%. And on a side note, I can officially say as of Wednesday, my mother uh, joined that group. So my 74-year-old mother officially completed her vaccinations. So we're getting there. We're getting there. And I know our two guests 
can have a lot to say about access to the vaccines, especially at the Baltimore City Convention Center. Before we go into that, let's dive into the lungs a little bit, right? I know it's Dr. G's favorite organ, right? You guys know that, so bear with me. But I say this because it becomes one, uh, one of the biggest conversation pieces in our post-COVID-19 clinic. Many of our patients, I think we've said this many times in regards to kind of physical immobility and they can kind of learn how to walk and regain their strength. There's also mental health consequences. But the lungs get emphasized a lot. So let's go over what exactly happens to the lungs in a brief segment uh, during this talk uh, that should be, that I'd like you all to be aware of because I think it helps understand why people continue struggling, especially catching their breath, long after they've had COVID-19. So the first thing I want to say is lungs are an organ, like, like your skin, like your bone, right? Meaning if they get damaged, they do have to heal. Now, visibly, skin, I think, is one of the best examples. If you cut yourself, what happens, right? There's bleeding in the beginning. Then the bleeding stops, and you begin to form a scar. And then maybe a month later, the scar goes away. But even with a scar, the skin, to some extent, still does its job. It may not look aesthetically well, but it's still doing its job. Now, look, take that example for the lungs. The lungs do get injured, and they have their version of scarring, and that scar may take some time to clear up. It's actually one of the reasons that lung doctors don't advocate for repeating x-rays or CAT scans in the lungs a month or two months or three months after your initial say, pneumonia. Why? Well, because you're going to still see a lot of things happening in the lungs, but that just might be more indicative of healing. It's hard to differentiate, but usually we take into context someone's active symptoms. So your lungs will have to heal after COVID-19. And COVID-19 really is a disease of the lung tissue, to some extent a little bit of the airways, but mainly lung tissue. But it can impact the airways, and it can impact the circulation as well. So what should we expect if someone has survived COVID-19? And I'm going to say this, I'm going to generalize it regardless if that individual was mild case to more severe case. So the first thing that I always try to prepare patients for is cough. Patients will develop a cough. It's, a, no, it's actually our most common pulmonary symptom of survivors. They want to, get a, they want to do away with this cough. Got, what's going on with this cough? Why is it still here? And I always like to emphasize the lungs are an amazing organ but the only way the lungs can clear themselves out is always going to be with a cough, right? Your lungs, believe it or not, that organ has no pain receptors, right? So if someone, for reasons I'm not sure, had a needle go into the lungs, you wouldn't feel pain, but you would feel coughing, right? Because that's how the lungs try to clear it out. The reason why I see this is because as the lungs get something that they don't want in there, say SARS-CoV-2, yeah, they're going to try to cough it out. But also after the lungs have successfully beaten SARS-CoV-2, that coughing is for two reasons. One, it has a lot to do with the fact that it's trying to clear out the dead cells, right? A lot of damage has happened to the lungs, and your lungs are trying to get them out. It's actually, on a side note, it's what happens to patients when they've quit smoking, right? The, my, every patient who quit smoking tells me the first month, they're like, it's miserable, I'm coughing. I'm like, you're right. Your lungs are getting the opportunity to actually get things out. So once you've survived SARS-CoV-2, you can expect you're going to likely have a cough as your lungs are actively trying to get out from secretions to dead cells and so forth. They're trying to get them out. They're trying to get them out. But at the same time, you also begin to form new cells in the lungs, right, to replace those old ones. Then those new cells 
kind of like a toddler, like they're excited to walk for the first time, right? Well, these new cells are forming these new cough receptors that are active and so forth. So I see this to patients because coughing will go away, usually can take up to six months, but it usually does begin to subside. And I always prepare patients. If they want the coughing to go away for a specific reason, say like they're going to go give a talk or be on the Kimberly and Dr. G show, you're welcome to take a cough suppressant. But keep in mind, once it wears off, the coughing kind of returns violently back. So this is not to be disheartening. The coughing, though, it's just part of the healing process. There are ways to help mitigate it, but it does self-resolve, and I know it's not an enjoyable thing. But almost every patient I've had, you know, the first month was miserable, but it gets better over time. Now, the second part I want to emphasize is our second most common symptom that we've seen, and that has to do with shortness of breath. The shortness of breath is a unique beast. And by the way, these two symptoms I'm characterizing have to do with lung healing. We'll go over in another time what if these are indicative of something more sinister. We'll talk about that next time, I promise. But part of lung healing, you can see cough, and you can see shortness of breath. The shortness of breath is likely because of two reasons working together. One, the lung did get injured, right? After a bad pneumonia or bad COVID-19, your lungs have to recover. And from that recovery, they will tell you, like, you can't use us that much like you used to. Like, you give us time to rebuild and so forth. My analogy here, and I know one of our physicians is an orthopedic, um, it's like if your bone broke and you know, your, leg, uh, your leg bone broke and you take the cast off, you're not ready to start sprinting, right? You've got to go through physical therapy and strengthen it back. So the same thing happens here. So part of it is the lung is injured. But the other part is that a lot of patients become deconditioned. So deconditioning just means you've lost that kind of endurance that you used to have. Not because you just sat down for a couple days fighting COVID-19 or maybe you were hospitalized for months, but keep in mind that massive, massive inflammation that COVID-19 brings on, that in and of itself can result in deconditioning, right? It wears out muscles, et cetera. Honestly, your body after surviving COVID-19 is, just for some patients, the analogy is like they run a marathon every day they had COVID-19. So it's going to take some time to recover from that. So I try to prepare patients for that. And so what can they do to help with their cough and that shortness of breath? Believe it or not, the best thing you can do to help efficiently with the healing process is continue using your lungs, right, in a way of kind of exercising through pulmonary rehabilitation or a physical therapy friend, and they'll help you with that. Now, exercise doesn't mean you go back and you run those miles. You won't be able to. But it could be simple walks, going up and down stairs, Enough that you keep pushing yourself day by day. This helps your lungs heal more efficiently. For some patients, it actually gets the cough to resolve quicker and their shortness of breath to resolve quicker. And lastly, stay hydrated. Your lungs are trying to create new lubrication throughout those airways, and the more you stay hydrated, the easier the cough will be. Right? Because if you're very dry, your lungs are going to have to cough several times to get something out. If they're well hydrated, one cough is usually good enough. So... I promise you the lungs will heal for the majority of patients, and that's what I wanted to prepare our listeners for. After COVID-19, you can expect to have some coughing and shortness of breath, but it's transient. I promise you all that's objective. It might be a few months. With that said, with that said, we have really amazing guests today. Kimberly, over to you to reintroduce them briefly, and then I'll jump in with a few questions, and whichever physician wants to tackle them as I throw them out, by all means. But Kimberly, over to you briefly. 
Thank you, Dr. G. So again, I'd like to introduce today's guest speakers, and please, if I mispronounce your names, please correct me. Um, so Dr. Zishan Siddiqui, Assistant Professor of Medicine, and Dr. James Feek, uh, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery here at Johns Hopkins. Um, welcome, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, before we get started, uh, would you mind kind of just briefly discussing um, the work that you do? Uh, sure. Kimberly, this is Jim Finke, and uh, I appreciate the, the time to talk with you all and, uh, and to your listeners. Um, we, we have been in place in the Baltimore Convention Center field uh, area for now over a year, and we started admitting patients in, in April as an initial response to the, uh, to the COVID uh, pandemic. And we began doing uh, testing in middle of June, and then we started infusions of monoclonal antibodies in November. And then February 6th, we were asked to begin doing mass vaccinations. So we're, we're, we're very proud to, know, to be a part of Baltimore City, and we are, uh, we, we're an organization that was formed in response to the, to the um, SARS-CoV pandemic. And we, we come together from uh, representatives and leaders and nurses, doctors, and, uh, and, and staff, all from University of Maryland Medical System and from Johns Hopkins Medical System and the state Maryland Department of Health and Baltimore City. And so we, we really represent uh, what we like to think of as a, as a uh, public-private partnership, but we're here to reach the people of Baltimore and specifically with vaccinations. Um, Dr. Siddiqui is our, is our chief equity officer for the vaccination effort. And I, I'd love for him to be able to uh, talk uh, about sort of how our approach to reaching the, the residents of Baltimore. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so ever since we started, we wanted to focus on Baltimore City. And as you may have followed the news, some of the other sites uh, had the same intention of reaching the local population and had some difficulties initially. Uh, we created an algorithm that prioritized Baltimore City population and right off the bat, we were able to get 40% of those who were vaccinated with us from Baltimore City. And, uh, and our algorithm also uh, was focused on uh, African Americans and those others who are underserved. And we've been able to reach a good percentage of them uh, despite lower signups uh, initially. Uh, we have increased our focus towards Baltimore City. More recently, uh, we've had 90% or more of individuals who get vaccinated uh, coming in from Baltimore City. Our focus, as Dr. Picky said, remains firmly Baltimore City and developing partnerships who, that will drive uh, and invite uh, Baltimore City residents to come and get vaccinated at the convention center. So this is Dr. Jeep. So thank you both for that introduction. And I'm hoping our listeners uh, can take a, uh, and not to sound like a lung doctor too much, but, but can take a, a, a sigh of relief. I say this because it has been the biggest question we get asked most frequently. So the biggest and the most frequent is access, access. And one of the questions that sometimes I struggle to answer, as well as my colleagues who join these conversations, Oftentimes, they're the scientists who help make the vaccine, and they're like, I don't know how to get help with the access. So you two are great to have here today, and thank you so much for 
uh, that uh, uh, introduction. So my first question, and uh, I apologize, I'm, I'm, uh, it's going to be the one that I'm not sure if you're ready to answer right off the bat, but let's go with this one. How do people just sign up? Like, we you know there's vaccines in the convention center. How do they sign up? Absolutely. And either one of you can tackle it. I know uh, there's two of you. Sure. So our, our sign-up process, uh, for those that have access to emails and uh, Internet, is to find our web form online. If they Google uh, Baltimore Convention Center vaccination site, that's the first option, and the next couple options are also related to us. So that's how they can go and sign up. They'll ask them some questions about you know, their name, their date of birth, and address, uh, and then it'll ask some other questions that will help prioritize them so that we know whether they are within the Maryland prioritization phase and if we can invite them. Uh, more recently, we recognize that uh, there are many individuals, especially from women who are focusing on Baltimore City, that would not have access or ability to navigate all the tools uh, efficiently. So we have a call center. Uh, the phone number is 443-462-5511 when they call this number. They will help them register and go through all of that information so that they're in our system. Now, we recognize that the vaccine is a rare or scarce resource, so we have to randomize and have some lottery to invite people and have them same opportunity to get vaccinated. So our system then randomly picks individuals and sends them invites. Uh, the invites are typically sent, again, through text messages and emails, but for individuals who signed up over the phone when it's their turn, our call centers will call them and schedule an appointment. So as again, they don't have to interact and interface with emails and, uh, and internet. Uh, more recently, um, we've been able to invite uh, all the participants, all the people who have signed up from Baltimore City to get vaccinated. A number has not responded and a number may have been vaccinated elsewhere, but we don't run a backlog. So if somebody from Baltimore City signs up on either way, they're very likely to get invited to get vaccinated within a week or two weeks. Um, the third method that we're working on and hoping for help here is with community partners who can go and reach out and help individuals either sign through the web form or inform them about our uh, phone number and help them sign up so that we can, we can continue to enroll and have sign-ups in high numbers from Baltimore City and we can continue to serve them. A fourth partnership uh, that, for, uh, that we're working on with partners who have people on the ground is to give them the ability to sign up individuals that they meet in the community directly and give an appointment right in that first contact. Uh, that requires somewhat complex discussion with our team to establish a process so any of the partners or any of the community health groups that are listening, they can reach out to me. My email is V as in Zebra, I as in Sam, I as in India, D as in David, D again, I as in India, Q as in Quebec, the number one, at J as in Johns Hopkins, H as in Hopkins, and as in medicine, I as an institute.edu. And I'll be happy to have a conversation with them where they could, for, for the community they serve, if they go out and can find individuals, we can give them the tools to schedule an appointment right there at that interaction. 
Thank you. No, that, that's great. Oh, Kimberly, I'm so sorry. I was just complimenting them and saying, Kimberly Munson, I think you have a quick uh, community question. Go for it, my friend. Yes, thank you. So I, I thank you, Dr. Siddiqui. And um, to everyone online, I will send that uh, call center number and email address out to my follow with my follow-up. Um, so I just want to confirm, so are this is this open to Baltimore City residents only? So we're highly focused on Baltimore City residents, those outside of Baltimore City. Because we're trying to get everybody in from Baltimore City and prioritize them, those outside of Baltimore City may have a very low chance of getting in five us. And Kimberly, I'd love to uh, just to amplify Dr. Siddiqui's uh, point is, is we would say never say never or never say always um, with it. And so we, we're, we want to get as many vaccinations in arms as we can possibly do safely. Uh, we have right close to us is the M&T Stadium, which is doing a mass vaccination for the entire state, and there are several other locations available. Um, and so we are focusing mostly on Baltimore City. When we get an allocation, and just as, as a point of you know, a fact, we've now done over 43,000 vaccinations. And with that number, we are, we are focusing so that we can reach the people that might not otherwise be able to get into the mass vaccination sites. They might not have transportation. They might not have internet or phone service. They might not have the, just the ability, as Dr. Siddiqui said, to, to walk through the, the, nav, the registration process. So we want to reach those people preferentially, but not exclusively. Does that help? Thank you so yeah, much. And, yeah, and at the mass vaccination site like MNT Bank, they're competing with people from all over the state. And at our site, they have an express limit to our, in our vaccination site, Baltimore City residents. So that, that, that's great. And um, I, I think I can speak for Kimberly and our listeners. This is exactly what we wanted to hear, right? Because uh, from our listeners, one of the frustrations they've had, and rightly so, is, you know, so just to get the vaccine, you feel like you need to be uh, access to technology and be technologically literate. And it sounds like you are trying to overcome a lot of those barriers, even as simple as just a telephone call. So thank you uh, both for kind of um, providing some ease to our listeners and uh, for this great service. My My next question is, so, you know, on this uh, program, we've talked about the vaccines uh, that are currently FDA approved for emergency use, J&J, Moderna, and Pfizer. Um, uh, to our listeners, in the next two weeks, we'll come back and talk about the AstraZeneca one as well. But for, for you both, which vaccines are accessible or uh, are available at the Baltimore Convention Center? We do the, uh, we have done all Pfizer so far, and we're prepared and equipped to do whatever we obtained from the state and they in turn from the industry and from the federal supply but right to this day all of our vaccines have been Pfizer which as you know requires a, a, a three-week follow-up for that second dose and then two weeks after that before they're fully considered vaccinated. Understood and have you had any problems with the follow-ups as well or does that seem to um, be as uh, run smoothly as the um, initial uh, dose? It's a great question. Um, the first part of the answer would be that uh, when we 
do the first vaccine, we give the person, every patient, a, a schedule at the time and a date for the, the getting their second dose. And the supply, when we, when we receive the doses, we also are programming for the second dose as part of that package. So everyone that will get their first one will get an appointment and be guaranteed a, um, a spot and a dose for the second vaccine. Yeah, the second one is to, to understand that uh, when we do the vaccine, um, the process of, of coming into the field hospital yeah, can have some longer waits because we're, we're really trying to reach everyone. And everyone that has an appointment is going to get that vaccine that day. And if their schedule is, say, 8 o'clock, uh, you know, they can come up to an hour earlier. We prefer not too much earlier because of the lines. But we also will do that vaccine to them if they come that day. And so if the line takes longer, we're still going to get the vaccine in their arm. Yeah. And, and so follow actually, up to this. Oh, second, go ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. So and a follow-up to the second dose issues so we, we have a much lower no-show rate for second dose and the call line that we have set up they have specifically prioritized people who call in and say i missed my second dose or i need to reschedule my second dose we have provided our call center with tools to help them reschedule their second dose so so we work hard to make sure we get second dose into the arms and, and not have anybody miss that opportunity to get their second dose excellent no thank you so, uh, and that's good, uh, good to hear and very reassuring. My next question, can you, so you, you hinted it a little bit at kind of what to expect, but can you walk us through the arrival? So someone signed up to come to the convention center to get the vaccine. Walk us through what they should expect. Uh, and if you don't mind, every, everything from parking to uh, uh, until they go back to their mode of transportation. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So there are several public parkings around the convention center when they are scheduling themselves on uh, the mobile device or at home, they will receive, they will get instructions through the process and at the end of, con of the con confirmation wh wh where these parking sites are. They are usually three or four blocks, a small block, city blocks away, some that are closer. Uh, and there, there is uh, for people who have disability, they can pull up at our entrance uh, and can be can be dropped off there, and we can provide wheelchair access for those that need right from the, the time they step out of the car to going back to their their vehicle. Um, for some, on some days, for people who arrive, there may be a line, and if you know if we can influence uh, uh, those individuals who come in to not arrive much earlier, as Dr. Thickey said, no earlier than an hour, but maybe just half an hour before their appointment, we'll certainly have much shorter lines if we were seeing a lot of individuals arrive much earlier. Um, and there may be a, some wait outside of our facility. The entrance is on uh, Charles Street between Conway and uh, Pratt Street. It's a pretty large convention center that runs uh, a few blocks. So, so knowing that entrance is not always intuitive, so we try and get that message. Uh, once they are uh, at the door, we check uh, if they have an, in, in, an appointment because we don't take walk-ins and we do have individuals come in some days and even stand in line 
who feel that they might just come in as a walk-in, and unfortunately we have to inform them that you know, to work their turn, but we, if they are scheduled with us, or we will get them in, or if they register with us, we will get them in quickly. If not, then we can help them get registered and get an appointment uh, quickly in the future. Once they enter the building, um, they need to get registered. There may be another smaller line. They're given information uh, about the vaccine itself, its side effects, a, lot, a document consistent with the EUA announcement. And once they make their way through uh, registration, they get to the table where there's a vaccinator who confirm all their information, assess if they've had a reaction to vaccines and if they're a higher risk to have potentially some minor reactions. Um, they'll get vaccinated and based on how they answer those questions, they will be moved to a wait or invited to sit in a waiting area. Many, most will be required to wait just a period of 15 minutes so that we can monitor them <clears throat> for reactions. But some of those individuals have had past reaction or other reasons we want to monitor them longer will be asked to wait 30 minutes. And then at the end of that period, they're given a chit, a piece of paper that gives them the exact time they're, they're, they, they, they can leave. And uh, as they're leaving, we'll have somebody check to make sure that uh, accidentally people are not leaving earlier than they need to. And then they can depart the building. Again, for those uh, that have disability, if they, if they coordinate with the driver uh, or the person who dropped them off, they can be picked right at the curb and others would go back uh, to the parking lot. Uh, thank you, Dr. Siddiqui. Have you partnered or thought about thinking about partnering with some sort of transportation service? Or do you offer that now? We, we don't offer that. Our community outreach partners have worked with uh, individuals and have provided transport. Uh, we are considering that in, a, in the future. So if there is a group that is interested in signing up individuals and scheduling appointment directly, sort of have that deeper partnership with us, we can work with them to see what we can offer at the moment for people to sign up at a web form or to the telephone line. Unfortunately, we don't have that ability. But it, it is really an important suggestion and something we continue to think about and work on. And Kimberly, maybe at this time it, it would be um, just important for our listeners to know that there is, uh, there is a bus stop right at the corner of Charles Street and Pratt. And um, it's a less than a half a block away uh, for for those try coming by by bus. Great. That's helpful information. Thank you, Doctor. Sure. Um, and as a follow up, and and this I apologize might be more um, appropriate for Doctor G, but kind of going back to um, you were talking about the no show rates. How if they're not returning within that? I guess. Uh, uh, 28 to 32 time frame, what could happen or would the vaccine be still as effective if they had to reschedule their appointment and were longer delayed than what they should be? The CDC guidance for this, and I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain what the, the data on effectiveness is, but for individuals, for individuals who cannot absolutely schedule within three to four weeks, we can schedule them out to six weeks, but even if uh, it takes longer, uh, the recommendation is not to start the series again, but to offer the second dose as a booster. 
Thank you so much. Dr. G? Yeah, no, I, what I wanted to ask, and I know this is a little bit forward-thinking, and I know we're not even past this first pandemic, and the last thing our listeners want to listen to is the next one, but can you, uh, and not, not to say there's a next one coming uh, to our listeners, but you guys are working with an amazing initiative that is taking a village, literally, to help our patients and our population. What do you hope, though, can be a lasting outcome of this? Like, how do you envision this helping us with future public health crises? I'd love to start that, and I think uh, Zishan probably has, uh, has some great answer. You, you mentioned that I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I was uh, asked to do this because of time in Iraq um, in a combat support hospital when I was in the Army uh, that I commanded. And one of the, the, the points that I think is important is that this field hospital came about because of a crisis. And we've, uh, we've been on a, working on a contingency. Um, you know, we, we very much want the city to return to normal. We want the, the convention center to return to doing conventions. And I think a critical aspect of that is that this vaccine is so essential as part of the public health effort. You know, when we think about public health, we think, and I'm not a public health expert, but we all can think about this. This is all for all of us to to consider how do we prevent the disease by masking, by distancing, by washing our hands? How do we educate like your podcast here, which is exceptionally uh, uh, valuable to getting it out to the public? And how do we control disease? And when it's a virus, the way to control this disease is to have as many people as possible immune. And so by the this notion that we have uh, mass vaccination sites, and we're, we're attending to this vaccine within a year of its arrival to this country and our, our knowledge of it is monumental. Um, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, the others in, in the group, but a half a million people die of influenza every year. And so we can think about it in ways that we're more conscious about how we're, we interact with people, how often we wash our hands. I hope we don't stay in masks, and I hope we can go back to some things that are customary, like shaking hands. But we also have to be wary that, this, that there's viruses out there, and this could happen again. And so I think that those basic notions are, are essential. Um, so I, I'm in a lateral to my partner, Dr. Siddiqui, and other other points. Yeah, so a year ago, I was a health services researcher and an inpatient physician. And, you know, Dr. G, the two of us working in the same institution have, have not met. Uh, and, and now for the last year, uh, we both have been preoccupied by COVID, but I think more so we both have been preoccupied by solving a public health problem. Um, and so all of us have had this training uh, by trying to solve this and how to solve a public health problem. And so we're individually more skilled at that. But more importantly, we have developed a network. We, we've got to know each other a lot better. Uh, and, and so it makes it much easier for us to come together to solve a public health problem. Uh, I uh, have met a lot of individuals from a home institution, but more importantly from outside, from Baltimore City, from the rest of the state, who I would never have met uh, otherwise. And so we formed this network. And also, as Dr. Thickey mentioned, 
uh, we're solving this for the first time and, and we're trying to figure out as we go, but for the future and, you know, for infectious disease-related problems, but in general for public health problems, uh, we have a playbook of sort of what worked and what didn't work. And as the dust settles from this, we'll compare notes and see what ideas we should hold on to, what ideas maybe were not as good. So all of this has made us experts in this topic. We would have wanted to have learned this in a different way rather than not being in the middle of a pandemic that has taken lives and, and impacted so many lives in so many different ways. But, but that's something that we can come away with from, from, from this uh, pandemic. No, and, and I love this uh, thinking. And Dr. Vicky, I, I, I applaud you of taking kind of skills that you were taught in another setting and then being able to kind of transition them into kind of the now. And, you know, I, and I think that's public health, right? It's hard to predict everything but you use what you've done in the past and you begin to adapt. And from my standpoint, you know, this pandemic, uh, the re uh, response has taken so much ingenuity and creativity and bringing diverse, not just diverse human beings, but diverse specialties together for a greater good. So I, I applaud you both for kind of this conversation and even kind of laying out the groundwork for the future. And by the way, as a lung doctor, I and, and to my listeners, please recognize I'm saying this as a lung doctor, I would love a world where handshaking and face masks are encouraged um, solely because my lung patients would love that. Um, so many of them have been doing so well without catching infections and so forth over the last year, which usually result in worsening lung outcomes. So, But with that said, I fully recognize there's a social community and so forth. But from my standpoint, you all have... Uh, provided such great peace of mind. Uh, I know not just Kimberly and myself, but to our listeners. Uh, we will make sure we promote the Baltimore City Convention um, greatly uh, through our listserv, our email, and of course this uh, is going to be made available as a podcast that has a larger reach as well. With that said, I want to give you all uh, um, actually, let me turn it to Kimberly. Kimberly, are there any community questions other until uh, we give our guests kind of a last closing comment? There, um, just one, but it's more specific for the lungs, so we'll, we'll save that one. Okay, sounds good. So, gentlemen, do you have any closing comments to our community listeners? I'll let Dr. Vicki start and then I'll wrap it up. Well, as you said, you know, we, we are in a, you, we're in the worst public health crisis in a century, and we're in, but we're also seeing some amazing hope. You know, I, I, it's been a privilege to be a part of a team that has focused solely on improving lives of patients with COVID or preventing those from getting it. And um, and just you know, we're we're here for our fellow residents of Baltimore, and we're happy to uh, to have any questions directed. Um, and Kimberly, I'll share. You could share my email and Dr. Siddiqui's email. Uh, with folks, and anytime we can can educate and help with uh, understanding both the risks of the vaccine or or some of the other uh, implications of this, we're we're very eager to to get the word out and get everybody in our hall for the vaccine. Thanks again. Yeah, I would echo those sentiments. Uh, for those that are seeking uh, vaccination from for, for Baltimore City residents. There are multiple choices, and many might be confusing. I want them to think of Baltimore, Baltimore Convention Center Field Hospital first, and being there, being here for them, 
and so my message to those to those partners is uh, sign up either through web form or through uh, telephone lines or through your community health leaders will get you in we'll get you in quickly we'll really focus on you and then for uh, any uh, community health leaders who want to partner with us to you know go into the community and help sign up we're here we want to partner with you uh, we're excited to partner with you we're very Baltimore City focused we want to get shots in every single person's arms No, thank you both um, so much. And again, providing uh, great insight into um, a, a resource here, one that I know our, our callers have often just emphasized, how do we get this, how do we get this? And you guys have just really, and both of you have done a phenomenal job of providing peace of mind to our listeners. And we'll make sure we get all the communication pieces out from the call number to email. So. Thank you both so much. You're welcome to stay on. I think there's one more community question that sounds like it was directed to me, and then we're going to uh, break for our spiritual um, closing remarks. You, you are welcome to stay, uh, or you can have your uh, hour back to some extent. So thank you both. Yes, and, and thank you again, Dr. Siddiqui and Vicky. Um, very much appreciate your time and uh, very informative, and I'll be sure to share the information. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Very welcome. And so, Dr. G, one question about your favorite thing in the world, um, lungs. So you were talking about the lungs after COVID. Does the patient after COVID con uh, continue to be quite contagious or infectious due to continuous cough? And how soon after can they be vaccinated? So great question. So, you know, the cough, this is the hardest part about the cough. Does it symbolize ongoing infection, or is it has it now transitioned to healing? It's always hard to kind of pinpoint, but for the most part, the cough of a patient does go through some level of mitigation, meaning it kind of weakens and goes away um, as the body defeats the infection, and then it returns. It usually returns like a, a couple days later or a week later. Patients can give you that timeline. They're like, yeah, it kind of went away, and now it's back. I don't understand. Does that mean I have COVID again? So when the cough returns, it is not because of COVID. It is usually because of the healing, and they're not contagious. With that said, they're not contagious to COVID. Keep in mind, your lungs are not sterile, right? So you would be still coughing up, you know, bacteria that live in your lungs. You know, to some other person, that might be a resulting of an infection. So. 100%. If you still have an active cough, make sure if you're going out into public to wear those face masks, keep yourself protected and keeping others protected as well. But you're not contagious with regards to COVID as those lungs heal. Now, the next question is a great one. When can I get my vaccine after I've had COVID? Now, this is tough and tricky of how to best discuss when, the timing. You definitely don't want to get it when you're actively fighting COVID. Once those symptoms are resolved or once you've beaten COVID and survived it, then what I would discuss is touch base with your healthcare professional. Because what he or she will do is kind of get a sense of how severe your COVID was and then begin to kind of give you a timeline of when they think it's appropriate to get it. The reason I say this is no harm will come if you get it, say, a week later. And actually, uh, Imam Hassan was on. He got his COVID vaccine a week after being discharged from the hospital after he spent, you know, 30-plus days here fighting for his life. And he's like, I felt fine. 
The reason sometimes we ask potentially to wait a day or two is just because the vaccine may, the side effects, right, the low-grade fevers and so forth, just might be unbearable to some. That's why we ask for a bit of a delay. Not that it will weaken the vaccine or do anything to the vaccine. It will still be strong. You just might be feeling a little bit miserable. So I would strongly encourage to touch base with your healthcare professional and discuss when you think is a good timing for it. The other thing I want to bring up, though, Kimberly, I, I mentioned it. I don't know if I mentioned it on the call or I mentioned it in some other capacity. I, I apologize. I can't remember. But I've said it before, listeners, I apologize. But I do want to say that we have actually begin to, begun to see that these patients with long COVID-19, these ongoing COVID-19 symptoms, actually some of them, their symptoms have improved after getting the vaccine. It's pretty remarkable. I know research is actively happening to kind of understand that and make sure it's just not anecdotal. But we have begun to see improvement in some patients after they've gotten the vaccine. And the improvement specifically, actually more cardiovascular. So some of the patients whose heart rates have been going, uh, running amok, that seem to improve. So more to come. Sorry, Kimberly, you asked me one question. I rambled on for a little bit longer. Apologies. No, it was perfect. Thank you. And, and thank you for the great questions as always. Feel free to please continue to submit your comments or questions to the MGG email. And so now, uh, before I turn this call over to Reverend Johnson, please note that we will not have a call next Friday, April the 2nd, in observance of Good Friday. So enjoy your extra hour and have a great weekend. Our next COVID-19 Community Partners call will be on Friday, April the 9th at 11 a.m. Our guest speaker will be Dr. Rachel Salas, Professor of Neurology, to discuss post-COVID-19 and sleep issues. And now for those who would like to stay on the call, Reverend Johnson will offer closing thoughts and a prayer. Thank you, Kimberly, and good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning, Reverend Johnson. Okay. And thank you also, uh, Dr. G, as always, and Dr. Siddiqui and Dr. Fiki for the great information that you share and the great work you continue doing on behalf of uh, the Baltimore community. And so as we end our community gathering and information sharing today, we recognize the convergence and celebration of two religious and spiritual traditions. On Saturday at sundown, our Jewish neighbors will begin the observance of Passover, and on Sunday, our Christian neighbors will observe Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week, culminating in Easter Sunday. Both of these holy observances, in a sense, celebrate freedom, physical, mental, and spiritual freedom. We're so blessed to live in a nation where we are free to worship the divine according to our own understanding and beliefs, as well as exercise other freedoms. With any freedom, however, comes the responsibility to exercise such in a way that does not infringe upon the freedoms of others. In other words, freedom does demand certain restraints. Our hearts were broken this past week when two individuals chose to exercise their freedom in a way that deprived innocent people of their freedom to live out the full breadth of their lives unmolested and the freedom of families to enjoy the living, breathing presence of loved ones. Is this the normalcy to which we have been yearning to return? I pray not. Let us pray. O oh, divine giver of life, just as we were beginning to enjoy the very thought of returning from our experience of exile with COVID to a renewed freedom to gather and move about unfettered, 
we were shockingly reminded that despite our physical freedom, there are still amongst us minds and spirits that are yet bound and chained who feel that the only way to free themselves is to remove the freedom of life from others. We know, not solely from Holy Writ, but from your commandments etched within each of our hearts by your spirit, that this is not your desired way for us. Help us, we pray, as we prepare our journey from COVID exile to renewed freedom, to be free indeed, free to live and let live, free to love and let love, free to prosper and let, free to worship you and allow others to worship you as they experience you. Please be with those families who have lost loved ones through violence this week. And we continually pray for families that have lost loved ones to COVID-19. Thank you, O oh God, for the beauty of true freedom of body, mind, and spirit. In your name, that is above every name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Johnson, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Have a safe weekend, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible by the Johns Hopkins Bayview Healthy Community Partnership, its Department of Spiritual Care and Chaplaincy, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine's Medicine for the Greater Good, and the Johns Hopkins Institute for Clinical and Translational Research.